Hello everybody, great to see you, great to see real people in here, what a wonderful thing. I'm so used to speaking to a camera that it's uh, good to see real people, although uh, the disadvantage of real people is that they might start heckling and that wouldn't be very good. Um, I want to start this morning, um, and as you know our campaign theme is called Generous, and I want to start this morning by reading a story. And this story has been written by my granddaughter, Bella. And she wrote this this week when I was with her. And when she showed me, I thought, well, that is excellent. It will fit in perfectly with my message. So if I may, I'll just read you Bella's story. It's called One Little Tree. Once there was a tree... Not just any tree, a very small tree. And in fact, she's done a lovely picture of the tree, as you can see. A very small tree. People named it Tiny07. Cool. Kids always played on it. And a couple years later, a hundred people played on it. And the tree collapsed. And at that point, that was like the end of the story. So we like, had a little talk about it. And then Bella and I agreed that perhaps it was a bit of a sad ending. So she, she decided to continue a little way to finish the story. So this is how she continued. But, she says, but when the tree came down with a crash, an acorn dropped off and landed in the earth, and another tree grew, and within just a few years, a new, huge tree grew, and the trees became a forest. The End, by Bella Turner. Well, don't you think that's great? So, let me take you now uh, to the Scriptures. And what I liked about Bella's story was, in the end, the positivity of the story and how it developed. So I want to take you to Genesis, the very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and read you a few few verses. So verse 4 of chapter 1 says that at the end of the first day of creation, after God had created light, he said, God saw that it was good. And then a few verses down in in verse 10 of chapter 1, at the end of the second day after the creation of the sky and the expanse and the water, we read, God saw that it was good. And then in verse 12, at the end of the third day after the creation of plants and trees, we read, God saw that it was good. You get in the, the idea? Verse 18, at the, beginning, at the end of the fourth day, after stars and the sun and the moon had all been created, we read, God saw that it was good. So you can see a certain consistency in the way that this story is developing. Genesis 1 and verse 21. Now this is at the end of the fifth day of creation, after the living creatures had been spoken into being. We read, God saw that it was good. Finally, Genesis 1 and verse 31 
says after the creation of men and women, God saw that it was very good. So after the Lord had spoken into creation, light and the waters and the sky and the seas and the land and the vegetation on the earth, the sun, the stars, the moon, and all the living creatures in the sea and on the land and in the air, God pronounced that his creation was good. Hebrew tof, tof. It was tof, good. But here's the thing. After the sixth day of creation, when you and I were created, after a fashion, or at least our ancestors, God looked again and pronounced that his creation was not just good, tof, but very good, tof miod. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel encouraged? Well, it should do. You see, we are told in Genesis, whether you read Genesis literally or whether you read Genesis um, poetically, it doesn't matter, what we are told is that affirmation is central to the whole well-being of the universe. So God knew that giving his creation affirmation was important. It must be important and significant because otherwise he wouldn't have said it six times in the very first chapter of the Bible. Now let's just dwell on this a little bit before moving on because it's important. Think about this. In the very first chapter of the first book of the library of inspired books, which we call the Bible, which incidentally contains almost 1,200 chapters, God feels it necessary to affirm, to pronounce good, to give encouragement to the creation no less than six times. And when it comes to the sixth day when you and I were created, his affirmation, his pleasure, his encouragement is pumped up even more. That's very good. Now, you might be thinking at this point, sure, get that, but all that happened before the fall, before sin came into the world. So for us in this fallen world, finding the good, affirming things now is surely a bit obsolete, isn't it? No longer a priority. And if that's your view, I really do think that you are seriously wrong. In fact, the Bible teaches clearly that being negative, having an eagle eye for the bad and slow to affirm the good is not what the God of the very good wants. Doesn't want that at all. In fact, he says in the very same chapter of Genesis, chapter 1, there's so much packed in. If you, ever, if you want to read uh, the Bible and learn about God, learn about humans, learn about the creation... You'll find it all virtually in Genesis chapter 1. And one of the things that he tells us in Genesis chapter 1, remember God is the great encourager. God is the great uh, affirmer. 
And one other thing that he tells us is that we were made in the image of God. Okay, we were made in the image of God. Now, I don't know whether you've come across this popular story of the twin boys. Um, This story is about twins, and one of the twins is an extreme optimist, and the other twin is an extreme pessimist. And in fact, Ronald Reagan, the former American president, popularised this story in the uh, 1980s. This is how the story goes. A, A psychiatrist was hired to try and psychoanalyse these two twins to find out why one was super optimistic and the other one was super pessimistic. So what he did, he put the uh, pessimist, pessimistic twin into a room and he piled the room full of beautiful toys. But the boy just burst out into tears, claiming that if he played with any of them, he would just break them. But then he put the optimistic twin into a room and he piled the room to the ceiling with, wait for it, horse manure. And what did the optimistic twin do? Well, being the eternal optimist, he dug enthusiastically through the manure with his hands, expecting to find a horse or a pony somewhere in the manure. And he's calling out this optimistic dream, where's the pony, where's the horse? And what actually happened with this story, it became a a feature of Ronald Reagan's White House team. And whenever they came up, the Reagan team, the White House, against what seemed to be an insuperable problem, Uh, The vice president at the time, uh, Reagan's vice president, would dutifully shout, there must be a pony in here somewhere, because he was an optimist. And Reagan's eye for finding the good was a godly trait that the scriptures reveal in God's character time after time. So even after the disappointment of the fall, God found good in flawed characters like Noah and Abraham and Joseph and David and Job and all these characters. And of course, when we reach Jesus, we find the master encourager, don't we, who lifts up the so-called sinners, encouraging people. Remember, he encouraged Nathaniel. uh, He said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And he encouraged the Samaritan woman, didn't he? The one who had... Uh, five had had five husbands. And all he would do would be to encourage people. So my theme this morning under the general heading of generous, I had to think because I'm privileged to have the first session under this campaign title, I thought, generous, mm, what should I talk about? Should I talk about money? No. Uh, then I thought about what is the subject that we can uh, express to the maximum our generosity. And I came up with this theme of encouragement. Why bring then a message about encouragement? Because it sounds to some people, doesn't it, like right out of our politically correct 
pampering culture or something an ego-stroking motivational speaker would talk about. Well, let me tell you this, and you might be surprised at this. From my 43 years, yes, 43 years in church life, I never cease to be amazed at how reluctant people are, many people. In fact, I might even say most people, Christian people, how many fail to see the tremendous power and strengthening that encouragement brings. And I don't know whether it's a sort of warped um, sense of theology that has convinced many of us that encouragement no longer has a part to play in the life of the church. You know, I, I almost hear the uh, working of Christian brains rehearsing their uh, dry, outdated theological understanding along these lines. You know, some people I'm sure think like this. They probably think, well, we believe in total depravity, don't we? I mean, we're all under the fall. So given that praising people would probably make them proud, we certainly can't have that, can we? We can't have proud people running about that have been encouraged. Surely the biblical approach should be to keep people humble. And let God at the appropriate time lift them up. Doesn't James 4, 6 say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? And doesn't the gospel give us the great news that we as undeserving sinners can get right with God through the work of Christ on the cross? And so God becomes our eternal Abba, our Father. Surely that's all the encouragement that we should need. Now again, If you're thinking like that, I would have to say that I profoundly disagree with you. See, one frustrated mega-church pastor, this was in the States, Church of Thousands, he was so exasperated by the reluctance of his members um, to encourage one another, he even labelled his local body of Christ a group that shoots its own wounded. Wow. What a a thing to say about the body of Christ. Now, do you think that we at LCF, with any justification, could be called that? A group that shoots its own wounded. I sincerely, I don't think so actually, and I sincerely hope not. (laughs) See, sadly, the modern church hasn't got a great record at encouraging people. And it's true that praising, encouraging others, does not come easily to human nature. We like to receive praise, but not to give it, it seems. And maybe it's the fact that criticising comes much easier to many of us because we feel more comfortable looking down on people. Praising, encouraging others involves looking up. You know, it gives us a stiff neck. And on the other hand, if we put a person down a rung or two, then what, on the social status ladder, what does that do to us? It brings us, doesn't it, up a rung or two. Perhaps we think like that. See, affirmation, the type modelled by God, is 
also discouraged by powerful social factors, that, you know, societal trends in which we live. There's a great deal of cynicism around, isn't there? Distrust, uh, suspicion, negativity, envy, political strife, bad news at home, bad news abroad. And all these things combine to chill our hearts and shrink our souls. And that's precisely why Paul says to us in Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just another way of saying, hey, remember you're made in the image of God, the one who taught us the importance of affirmation and encouragement. Six times, actually, in the very first chapter of his book. Come on, guys. Many Bible passages remind us that our words have incalculable power. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, it says in Proverbs 18.21. Then in Ephesians 4.29 it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good or helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So scripture tells us that being encouraging to one another is an obligation that we have. And let us consider, says the writer to the Hebrews, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, verse 25 onwards. You see, if you, saw, if you were in a restaurant and you saw uh, a child with a choking with a swollen face, obviously he's eaten something that he's allergic to, and you had an EpiPen, and um, you, can't, you can't say I don't come prepared for these messages. This is like an EpiPen, this is my daughter's EpiPen, because she's allergic to bee stings and you had an EpiPen in your pocket, you wouldn't think, would you, of passing by without seeking to deliver a life-saving shot of adrenaline. Yet how many of us pass by our friends, even family, daily, habitually, neglecting to inject the encouragement that we have in our power to deliver? And scripture bluntly warns against this. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power so to do. Proverbs 3 and verse 27. Encouragement is within our power. Every single one of us. It is one of those rare gifts that actually, you know, you can't say, oh, I haven't got the gift of encouragement, like I haven't got the gift of healing, etc., etc., Everyone can encourage. And that's why James 4 and verse 17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him or her it is sin. But after hearing all that, you may say to me, but how do I know if anyone needs to be encouraged? Well, I can definitely help you there because I've studied this. 
How do you identify someone who needs encouragement? Well, the answer is, that person is breathing. Okay? That's not really news, is it, to any of us? We all know that what it is to be emotionally gasping for air, feeling psychologically suffocated by discouragement, downcast by disappointments, having a bleak outlook on life generally. Maybe things are going pear-shaped at work. Maybe the issues of my kids seem overwhelming. Maybe I just stare in the mirror every morning and look at my face and think, well, I haven't got a a real friend anywhere in the world. And discouragement is like a weight pressing down on our chests. And that is very common for many, 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 many people. And people everywhere, says Jesus, are weary and heavy laden. So what are we saying this morning? We are saying that a person's basic yearning to be commended, praised, encouraged, is not as some think fundamentally unhealthy, but wholesome, not sinful, but virtuous. And let me tell you why. First, as we have seen, it is rooted in our being, created in the image of God. Wanting to have our performance evaluated as very good can be traced back to the personality of our, of our heavenly Father and Creator in the six days of creation, as we've already seen. Secondly, it is rooted in the fact that one day we are all going to give, the Bible says, an account of our lives to God. And how many of us long for that day when God says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 25 and verse 21. Thirdly, the scripture tells us that anything good done by us or seen in us finds its origin in God, in our Abba, Father in heaven. James 1 and verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Okay? So going back to our little boy in the restaurant, desperately in need of that adrenaline shot, I'm sure that I'm sure many of you know that adrenaline can transform an ordinary person into someone with seemingly supernatural strength. I was re- uh, recently reading of a lady called Lauren who lifted a BMW off of her father after the car had toppled from a jack. A lady called Lydia Angelou, again reading this recently, hit the headlines when she went toe-to-toe with a polar bear in Quebec. Wow! To protect her son. And these and many other examples have conclusively shown that people can chemically and physiologically undergo superhuman-like transformations through what is known as an adrenaline rush. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that 
encouragement biologically stimulates the brain and explodes a literal adrenaline rush, which gives us superhuman strength. I'm not suggesting that. But I am certainly claiming an analogy. Encouragement is in many ways like adrenaline. So what adrenaline is able to do chemically for the body, encouragement is able to do emotionally and psychologically for the soul. Encouragement can transform a person's spirit. And here's the great thing, I say again, you don't need a special anointing or a special gifting or a special talent to do it. We can all do it, every single one of us. William Barclay, a great scholar and minister a few years back, said this, It is one of the highest duties, particularly for God's image bearers, is the duty of encouragement. You know, it is easy to laugh at a person's ideals. It is easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. It is easy to discourage others. In fact, the world is full of discouragers. And the Word of God tells us that we have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Blessed are those who speak words of encouragement. So my challenge is this this morning. Make yourself into an encourager. Encourage your friends, particularly those who are down. Encourage your family. Encouragement brings families together. Encourage your workmates. It only takes a few words, a text, a message on social media, a card dropped through the door. And most of all, encourage your church family. How about making it a habit to encourage one person each week? Now, my wife Natalie is great at this. She's a great encourager of people. And maybe most important of all, encourage your leaders. When Mike and Becky have poured their hearts into a message that they've been preparing all week, send them an adrenaline shot of encouragement. That's my advice. In fact, there are a number of Bible verses which specifically ask us to honour and encourage our leaders. Hebrews 13, 17, 1 Timothy 5, 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, 13. And I can say this because Mike and Becky are taking a break this week. <clears throat> but there is nothing worse than giving your all to building up the church only for that to be followed by silence. Nothing worse. And the job of a leader can be a very lonely experience and I have known leaders who simply through lack of encouragement have lost their confidence and doubted their God-given calling. So let's be determined to never let that happen at LCF. That's my message. Hebrews 12, you know, it talks about a great crowd of witnesses. And imagine you're in that crowd watching our neighbours run their life's uh, races. And it's so easy and lazy for us, sitting in the stands, to let those inhibitions keep us silent. 
that prevent us from cheering people on, to prevent us from doing what we know to be right. But let me say it again, we have a God-given obligation to get up off our butts and roar with our lungs, giving shots of adrenaline so that our friends can run with endurance the race set before them. And finally, I will suggest this to you. An individual is never more Christ-like than when full of compassion for those who are down, needy, discouraged or forgotten. How terribly essential is our commitment to encouragement. Last word from Paul, Apostle Paul. Encourage one another and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. And that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you.